Hey y'all, this is Amy. And this is Meg. And we are 1096 Crime Chicks. This is part three of our series on John Benet Ramsey. So if you haven't listened to the first two parts, we would love for you to go back and listen to part one and part two. I believe those are episodes 10 and 11? Yes. Okay. So listen to those before you listen to this one, else you're going to be lost. All right. So we ended mm-hmm. with the grand jury indicting John and Patsy Ramsey, and then the DA said, no, we're throwing it out, right? Yep. He did not sign off on it. He said he knew there was not enough evidence to obtain a conviction, and he was not going to put the, you know, waste the taxpayer dollars or uh, put the city of Boulder through that. So that's where we left off. Yeah. So today... We get to talk about all the suspects other than John and Pat. Yes, and the family, why we don't think they are, you know, the killers, but then all the alternate suspects and um, maybe you'll learn a thing or two. We, in fact, both learned a thing or two, and I've been following this case for a long time, but there was still a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, the, the, the DA, the indictment, that was back in 99. And so things laid quiet until 2006. And that is when poor Patsy passed away from ovarian cancer. It's so sad. It was very sad. She had a recurrence, I think, in the early 2000s. And I mean, it ended up in her brain, like it ended up spreading everywhere. And she passed away in 2006. So Burke would have been, I mean, how old would Burke have been? Like an older teenager. I think, yeah. yeah, I think he was like an older teenager. Yeah, John Benet would have been 16. So, so he would have been 19. Yeah, like 19. Yeah. yeah, an older teenager, probably in college. So anyway, Patsy died in 06, and she died when their family was still like, I mean, I still think technically they're all under an umbrella of suspicion, yes. at, at least in the greater public. But when she died, they were still heavily under the umbrella of suspicion. Yeah. So in 2008, two years after Patsy died, the Boulder DA, he cleared John and Patsy of any wrongdoing in John Bonet's death. They came to this, I mean, this decision, they cleared them based on DNA evidence that was collected from her clothing. Mm -hmm. So at the time of the killing, none of this, this type of DNA analysis didn't exist. Right. Because, I mean, in 1996, like... The very first case, I believe, that they used DNA on was the O.J. Simpson trial, and that was in 95. Yes. But that was in the infant stages of DNA. Right. So they didn't have the testing that they have now. Right. When they had lots of blood and right. lots of things like that to test. I didn't know that, that the first one was yeah. with O.J. Simpson. Okay. I'm not positive, but I, okay. I think that was the first okay. case. But with the Jumbinet case, there really wasn't blood like that or like copious amounts of evidence like there were in the OJ case. So anyway, this the type of DNA analysis that didn't exist then, but it's called touch DNA. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so the DA, her name was Mary Lacey, and she's the one who cleared them. And she just said that the new DNA test point to, her words were, an unexplained third party as possibly responsible for the killing. What I thought was super interesting is this touch DNA suggests that it was a male of Hispanic origin. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? They can narrow it down to that. They can narrow it down to, to that it was 
likely a male of Hispanic origin. So there was DNA found under Jomini's fingernails, and this was found two weeks after the murder. And Alex Hunter, who was the DNA, the DNA, the DA at the time, he had access to that, so he knew that. So Alex Hunter knows these things whenever he refuses to sign the indictment. Mm-hmm. So he he knows some things. Yeah, when he doesn't sign this. Well, and I think it. A lot of it came, I mean, I think that he knew that they, or in his heart, he knew that they did not do it. But I also think that he realized that this case was going to cost a lot of money. And if you don't have a definitive answer, yeah. then why, yeah. you know. I mean, you just kind of look stupid. Like, your town kind of looks stupid for right. putting everyone through the ringer for that when you know that there's no way you're going to get a conviction anyway. Right. So they find this touch DNA, and it was found on two separate clothing articles. It was found on her panties, and it was found on her leggings. And it was actually found in three different sites on these two articles of clothing. So a lot of the argument that I've heard about this was, well, what if it was like the clothing manufacturer? What if someone at the facility that makes panties, like, touches I don't know, touches the paints. And then, yeah. and then Patsy doesn't wash them when they go on John Bonet. And then, so those fingerprint or the touch DNA is from someone at the, I don't know, painting manufacturer? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, or someone, I don't know, maybe someone at a store shopping who like touches right. the, I don't know. But people just say, you can't prove that that was the killer. Just a piece of touch DNA you can't prove. But when it's on two different pieces of her clothing that were not made from the same manufacturer and on three different places on these two articles of clothing, then that was enough for the DA at the time, Mary Lacey, to say it just, it wasn't, it it, it couldn't have been the Ramseys. So Mary Lacey said, um, she said, the match of male DNA on two separate items of clothing makes it clear to us that an unknown male handled these items there's no innocent explanation for its incriminating presence on the three sides of these two different items of clothing that JonBenet was wearing at the time of her murder. So they apologized copiously to the Ramses. I mean, it's kind of too little too late. It's 12, right. It's 12 years later. Right. And Patsy's already gone. Right. And so now it's just kind of... They're almost... Yeah. They're almost out of money. They've moved away. Their lives have, you know, been ruined. But... I think it was still, I think it still provided, John talks about this in his book, but it still provided just some peace to know that, you know, when people do look at all the evidence, they can come up with, you know, the conclusion that they were innocent. Right. So anyway, that was in 2008. They Mm -hmm. said they were officially cleared of any wrongdoing. Yeah. So there you go. If they were cleared, I think the first, the other person that most people probably think it was is... Burke. Burke Ramsey. Bless him. I know. God bless Burke Ramsey. And talk about Burke. Yeah. You know what bothered me the most mm. about what people say? Mm. What? So I hated that people made fun of the fact that, or not really made fun, they criticized the fact that he was like constantly smiling yes. in the interview with Dr. Yes. Phil. Yes. And you and I both know that you and I could be answering the same questions and have completely different reactions. Absolutely. You know, I heard someone once, a, a psychologist, and it might have been Dr. Phil. It might have been on the Dr. Phil show. I don't remember. But someone just say once that there are as many types of grief and as of appropriate grief as there are humans. Like, uh-huh. like every human in the whole world could have a different response to grief and they're all appropriate because yeah. you don't get to call someone else's response inappropriate. It's right. not your place to get to say whether or not 
how right. they're grieving or how they're expressing themselves is appropriate or inappropriate. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, and in this case, you have your grief, you have, you know, he's nervous. He's on national television. <sighs> he's being interrogated basically again as an adult about the same thing. Granted, oh Dr. Phil was not like bashing him or anything, but no. still, you know, he's having to ask the questions because everybody wants to know. Yeah. He asked the hard questions. He yeah. Did, Dr. Phil did. So it's not just grief. You know, he's nervous. And I, for one, I have laughed before when I'm nervous. Yeah. Oh, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Maybe even if you're talking about something sad, Yeah. like it's, you're incredulous, you know, you're incredulous as you're talking. You right. Know? being sad. So Dr. Phil spends three days with Burke over the course of this interview. And, and John was there for part of it, but John wasn't there for all of it. But Dr. Phil really came away saying, you know, like you said, that, you know, people comment on his smile a lot when he's smiling, when talking about these hard things. And he just said that, um, he, that to him, that smile was just purely from anxiety. He said, yeah. Burke's kind of a loner. You I mean, you have to remember the spotlight that he grew up in. Clearly he grew up with, you know, media trucks in his yard and people thinking his parents were murderers and he grew up in a tough situation. So I think he just kind of became a loner during that time. I think it'd be hard to probably trust people who wanted oh, to yeah. be your friend or be close to your family. So Dr. Phil just said, you know, that what his take was that he's just kind of a loner. He's socially uncomfortable. And that when people are anxious, they do different things. Mm-hmm. He said some pull on their hair, they fiddle around, whatever. And for him, it's just that nervous smile. Yeah. 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 And so I'm not a fan and I'm sorry for all of you people that love true crime and love this man, but I'm not a fan of Jim Clemente. I was mm-hmm. until the CBS special. It was awful. And even he said you cannot go on his mannerisms yeah there's just there's just no way because everybody like we've said reacts differently to situations so even he said that you can't base your opinions on whether or not he well, you know, it's just like the people that we talked about in the last episode, but one person decided Patsy was guilty because of the way she was praying in church. And one person decided that John was guilty, the investigator there on the day that it happened. I don't even remember why she decided it. Something uh, yeah. about the way he was acting. She decided he was guilty. And like, right. so people watch Burke and they decide he's guilty and we can't, we don't get to decide if people are guilty. Mm-hmm. Evidence gets to tell us who is guilty and who is not guilty, but I don't think we just get to decide based on reactions or interpretations right. or anything like that. So there was the big special in 2016. It was the 20th anniversary of the killing. And um, so CBS did this big docuseries called The Case of JonBenet Ramsey. And all it was was it was just total incrimination on Burke. Yes. Did you watch it? Oh, yeah. I was infuriated. It was, in, it was infuriating. And what they did, I mean, I don't I literally don't even know how they got away with this on network television, but they got like a dummy and put a blonde wig on her. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? Uh-huh. They get a dummy and they put a blonde wig on her to look like John Bonet. And then they get a nine year old boy and a flashlight because that's what they think that John Bonet was hit by the head with. No one knows that, but there was a flashlight found nearby that John does not think they own. He didn't recognize the flashlight but it's okay I have some info on that oh good so uh so they give a nine-year-old boy in this in this show a flashlight and tell him to hit the dummy as hard as he can and then they take the wig off and examine the head so the head is made to be like a skull and so Mm -hmm. to see if a nine-year-old is strong enough to crack a skull I'm sorry I'm the mom of two nine-year-old boys in fact and I would 
never in my wildest dreams let them swing a flashlight as hard as they could at a dummy with a wig on it to see if they could crack a skull. No. That is disgusting. It is. It's very disgusting. Disgusting and terrifying. And I can't even believe that it was allowed on television. And I cannot even believe that whoever that boy was who did it, that his parents would ever allow such a thing. And that's what John Ramsey said after he, you know, he watched part of it. And that's what he said. He just couldn't believe that his daughter's murder was being made into this like dramatic display for television. So people, you know, like it was just devastating to him to watch nine-year-olds bash fake skulls with blonde wigs on them to that that could even be you know something that cbs would make money off of right just so but i mean technically they didn't really get away with it no they didn't (laughs) so burke um through the family attorney files a 750 million dollar defamation lawsuit against cbs and that's, I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money. But, you know, I don't even think $750 million, if I was Burke, would make anything, like, worth it. No. Like, two sisters, dad, your mom's dad. Half the country thinks you're a killer. The other half probably thinks your dad's a killer. I don't even know that that would make me feel any better. No. Maybe it was just teaching CBS a lesson. I think so. But I don't know that I... But I, I do think that it was the one, I guess, redeeming quality from CBS when they come back. So... He won the lawsuit. We don't know how much it was. We know it was not 700. Right. They settled out of court. But his attorney said, Burke's attorney said, they came to an amicable resolution. So, I mean, we know that it It was a substantial He probably made some coin. Right. Yeah. But the one redeeming quality that I think CBS came back with was, you know what? You're absolutely right. Yeah. What they said about how you were the only person that could have done this, that was wrong, and we should not have let that air. And I I thought that that was... A little bit of a redeeming quality. I think so, too. I think so, too. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't. It just wasn't based on evidence. And I think they realized that. And that's why they, you know, gave him the money. Because they realized that none of that was based on evidence. That it was just, like, shock value that made people watch. So, anyway. Yeah. That was super sad. So, Burke, apparently, he graduated from Purdue in 2010. So, mm-hmm. he's a smart guy, too. And he work, he's a software engineer. But he works from home. Dr. Phil said he, like, he, he just wants to work from home. He doesn't care to go be amongst crowds and a bunch of people. Can you blame him? No. And, you know, now he might not have to work so much anymore. <laughs> if he just even settled for, I don't know, half that, what, 425, 325 mil? He probably doesn't have to work a whole lot. Shoot, even if it was 3 mil. A million? 300,000? Anyway, Burke probably doesn't have to work a lot anymore, but God bless him. He shouldn't have to, and I would never be jealous of Burke Ramsey. Yeah. So that's Burke. There was really, there was virtually no evidence incriminating Burke. Yeah. It was just so sad that they would think that a nine-year-old would do it. I just don't. You know, I'm the mom, like I said, I have two nine-year-olds. I have nine-year-old twin boys at home and they have a little sister who's four. So we also have a four-year-old and our four-year-old is spoiled rotten. She's a little girl also. Gets everyone's attention, gets the grandparents, you know, she's everybody's baby and the grandparents' baby. And I tell you what, I mean, I think they get jealous of her sometimes. I do when she comes home with new toys or whatever. For the life of me, in the bazillion years, I can't even imagine them getting mad enough to, like, slap her in the face. No. Much less for anything to bash her in the head with a flashlight. Right. I just don't even think that's reasonable. Yeah. Or reasonable from a kid who, after that, never displays any psychiatric 
illness. So maybe before or after. Before or after. Right. Exactly. So he has no history of psychiatric illness. And then moving forward, he never shows violence. We talked about this in the last episode, but he never goes on to show violence to other children, girlfriends, anything like that. Right. I don't think that could just be an isolated incident where he no. harbors that much rage to kill his baby sister or to bash her in the head with a flashlight and then to be a perfectly normal human being the rest of his life. Right. I mean, maybe a little anxiety, but for all intents and purposes, a normal human being that no one has ever come out against and said that he, you know, had anger issues or mm-hmm. violence issues. Yeah. So anyway, God bless Burke. Yes. We are not Team BDI. We do not think Burke did it. Right. Not for a second. He looks just like his mom, too, doesn't he? He does. He's really kind of handsome. Yeah. Okay. So, Amy, might you tell us a little bit about who else maybe could have done this? Yes. So, I, I there are a lot of suspects out there. I picked five suspects. Five, yeah. Um, they're all, like, viable suspects. I yes. I mean. And so, the article that I found, these five suspects it was in a rolling stone article but i kind of like went back and forth i didn't just take it from there i read it from different sources but the other five suspects are gary oliva who is considered the town drifter i kind of think it was gary oliva yeah Mm -hmm. michael helgeth who was the electrician oh i kind of think it was him i I know okay i remember him okay john mark carr the school teacher yes which i'm sure everybody remembers yes Linda Hoffman Pugh, the housekeeper. Yes. I'm hoping I'm saying that P U G H, right? I think so. Hug. So. I think it's, it's kind of like Dr. Booth. <laughs> I'm not sure. We might have we might have ruined Dr. Booth's name too, but yeah. And then the last one who really just kind of freaks me out is Bill McReynolds, and he's kind of known as the Town Santa. It's the creepy Santa. I think a lot of people have heard of the creepy Santa. Yes. He's a creepy Santa. Yeah. It's crazy. So we'll start with Gary Oliver. And we have a lot of information on all of them, but Gary Oliva was a... He is a a valid suspect. Yes. He is valid. Yes. Okay. He was a 32-year-old known sex offender in Boulder. He also was a paranoid schizophrenic. Yes. He was also diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's just... It is. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He was a 32-year-old known sex offender in Boulder when John Bonet was found strangled to death. In what some people say looked like a potential sexual assault, since there was blood on her underwear and leggings. Oh. The convicted pedophile has been living in the, or had been living in the area on and off when police allegedly found a magazine cutout of John Bonet in his backpack after he was apprehended on drug charges in 2000. He was soon released, but poor suspicions. I mean, he lived. So when this happened, y'all. He got his mail at a church right by the Ramsey home, and it was like, so that was kind of his most permanent residence was this church. And it was like a block from the Ramseys. I mean, he lived, he was a he was a transient, basically, but always in that neighborhood. That was yeah. kind of the neighborhood that he frequented at the time. And he also was on the registered sex offender list because in 1991, he molested a young girl. So a yeah. few years before John Benet, he was already a known sex offender of young girls. Yes. So he already had a penchant for young girls. And yeah. Yeah. So the Ramsey family had a longtime private, private investigator. And I literally, I, I even put this in my why did they need a PI for so yeah, long even true. before she was murdered? Yeah, that's like, true. And I get it that you own a multi-million dollar company, but still, even then, why would you have a private investigator? Yeah, I get it. Know? I totally get it. But his name is Ollie Gray, 
and he once referred to all of his ties to John Bonet as a bombshell arrest. And then he blasted the police department and Boulder for failing to consider him as a more credible suspect. Well, I mean, I think people too, they're like, you know, they live in this multi-million dollar home with all these rich neighbors. I mean, within a two mile radius of their home, 38 registered sex offenders were within a two mile radius, 38. And so, um, yes, it was a wealthy, you know, area, but it was still in downtown Boulder. It wasn't mm-hmm. in like one of the wealthy suburbs, which is kind of like Waco, you know? Right. It's not one of the wealthy suburbs. And there are some definitely, you know, some nice, lovely houses in downtown Waco. But I would imagine within a five mile radius of even some of the nice, fancy homes, there are plenty of transients and hotels and people, you know, the people that right. live in the motels and all of that. So the Ramsey home, it wasn't in this safe, secluded subdivision. There were 38 registered um, sex offenders in their neighborhood at the time of this happening. And he was one of them. So Gary Oliver was one of them, lived about a block away. Yeah. Also, he he was at a one-year anniversary vigil for John Bonet in December of 97. And one of the, the PI that you're talking about, they saw him. He was in the front row at the vigil. Mm-hmm. Oliver was. And then he also, they found, like you said, they found like a magazine cutout of her. But then he also had black duct tape on his stun gun. So I don't think we've talked about the stun gun marks on John Bonet yet. But during the autopsy, I don't think we talked about that. I don't remember if we did or not. So they found these two marks on her, I think in two different places, but two marks on her, kind of burn marks that that measured exactly how a stun gun would measure. Mm -hmm. So it's widely thought that someone probably came into her room, used a stun gun on her while she was sleeping to get her downstairs without screaming and kicking and crying and waking everybody up. They used a stun gun. So, I mean, I think it's pretty widely believed no matter who did it, that it was a stun gun. So anyway, so with Oliva, they did find, they found black duct tape, which I mean, you probably could find black duct tape in my home um, yeah. as well. So I don't know that black duct tape is quite as, um, you know, convicting, but when he was arrested in 2000, he also had a stun gun in his backpack. So that's weird that he keeps a stun gun on him. Oh yeah. Do people do that? keep stun guns on their their person. So anyway, and then also they thought some of his handwriting samples were similar to handwriting in the ransom note. So yeah. So he has a former classmate. His name is Michael Vale. And this is just so crazy because Michael Vale got a disturbing phone call from Oliva. Mm -hmm. And it was shortly after the murder and before the case made national headlines. And so he said that Oliva called him late at night on December the 26th, and Vale said that Oliva was sobbing and said, I hurt a little girl. And then Vale mm-hmm. tried to get more information out of him, but the only other thing he told him mm-hmm. was that he was in the Boulder, Colorado area. Oh, my gosh. I know. What? Yeah. So Vale said... You know, it's interesting. Nobody's ever come out and said... Berg started crying and said that, you know, could they could have right. gotten their five seconds from coming out and being like, oh, Berg admitted to me. You can get a magazine cover for that. Right. Nobody's ever come out against any of them. I know. to say these things, but people come out against these other people. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. So Vale said that on the morning of December the 27th. That's crazy. I know. So this is like literally the next morning yeah. after he gets the yes. call from Oliva and he read on the front page of his local newspaper, which... He now lives in California. I don't know if that's where he lived at the time. But he read on the front page of his local newspaper, quote, Girl 6 slain in Boulder, Colorado. And so then it was like, Um, oh, my gosh, my classmate, you know, did this. Yeah. So he immediately called the Boulder police. 
and he told them what he knew about Oliva and told them about his confession, oh. they never called him. Stop. Never. Never. They knew who did so, it. They already, that did not fit their narrative. Girl, it there's even more. Didn't fit their narrative. <laughs> they had a narrative. It's just like when they didn't listen to Lou Smith. It, what Lou had to say did not fit their narrative. I right. I fully believe they had a narrative. Oh, yeah. And if it didn't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> <laughs> wrong case. Wrong case. They did it. But truly, they, I mean, they acquitted all of it. They acquitted all these other people because they didn't fit their narrative. Exactly. So, there you go. Who said that? Johnny Cochran? Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, late Johnny Cochran. <laughs> so three months later, they all decided, you know what? I'm going to call back to the Boulder Police, see if I can find out any information yes. on the investigation because, you know, he had called in. Yeah. He was sent to an answering machine that they uh. set up for tips on the case, left a message, never called him back. The so Boulder, that's the second time. The Boulder Police wrote uh, the perfect lesson on how not to run a murder investigation. Yes. Could there be a worse murder investigation I know. than this one? And then, you know, another thing that I think he probably mentioned to the police department the first or second time that he called, it really kind of shocked him because Oliver at one point tried to strangle his mother yes, yes. with a phone cord. A phone cord. And... The way he tied the knots on the phone cord matched the knots on the, the garage. It was the same yeah. kind of garage around John Bonet. Yes. So it's it's really crazy. So Oliva is now in prison in Colorado for possession of child pornography. He's yeah. up for parole in 2020. But oh, I hope he doesn't get out. I know. Oh. I know. Start. He started writing letters to Vail. Yeah. You know, and Vail, of course, is like, well, I have to keep talking to him. You know. So. Some of the letters, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. Quote, I never loved anyone like I did John Bonet, and yet I let her slip and her head bashed in half, and I watched her die. It was an accident. Please believe me, she was not like the other kids. Ooh, uh -huh. the other kids. And another letter to Vale. What? He said, quote, John Bonet completely changed me and removed all evil from me. Just one look at her beautiful face, her glowing, beautiful skin, Stop. and her divine God body. Gross. I realized I was wrong to kill other kids, yet she died and it was my fault. Mm. Yeah. So how did he find her? Like, was it, how did he, I guess just living in the neighborhood or the pageant circuit? I, well, I'm thinking probably both. Yeah. And, you know, they probably had pictures in all the newspapers when she oh yeah she won something she won and... something like two weeks prior right so yeah she won a pageant like two weeks prior so i'm sure that was in the newspapers and you know it was easy to find out where they lived because they you know two thousand people yeah toured their home for the christmas tour so yeah yeah so, so that's oliva he's a i mean oh i have more oh god i have more I, See, more, I totally think it's Oliver <laughs> till Amy will bring up the next guy. And then I totally think it's him too. And then they're, the next person. They're <laughs> these two. They're really these two that yeah. really strike a chord in me that I think it could have been. Right. Anyway, anyway go on. So, you know, Vale kept calling, you know, at least twice. He called Boulder Police yes. and never talked to him. And they decided, well, maybe we should consider him 
And when they arrested him in 2000 for unrelated charges, and then they found the photo of John Bonnet in his backpack, a poem he'd written entitled Ode to John Bonnet and a stun gun, among other things. Stun gun, yeah. Yes. It's a normal. So several investigators, including Lou Smith, Uh had theorized that the stun gun may have been used. And so they thought, you know, maybe, maybe this could be a good guy. But then... They lost interest. They lost interest in him. Yeah, because you know the new DNA testing, it failed to match his DNA to the crime scene evidence. However, the police department has since acknowledged that the crime scene was mishandled, contaminated, right, horribly contaminated. Right. In 2002, Smith again. We mentioned in the last episode that he has since passed away. But in 2002, he told 48 Hours that he still considered all of us suspects. Yeah. In addition to Smith, Vale, his classmate, still considered him a suspect. And Vale told the Daily Mail that Boulder police have placed, quote, too much emphasis on DNA matches mm-hmm. when it's well known that the crime scene and evidence in the case was compromised. Right. So true. We you know, know. I agree with that. You can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, you can't have it both right. ways. Is either compromised and then you can't trust the DNA or yeah it was not. So they'll decided, you know, I'm just gonna keep talking to him because yeah. I wanna see if see what I can learn. Right. Yeah. Can I get a confession out of him? He says he's been talking to him for over two decades now. Um, all of us in prison and but he's only admitted to just killing her. That's it. Okay. He says he believes he will go to hell if he doesn't admit to it. So So does Vale think he did it? I don't know, because he sent he has you know, after all the phone calls that right. he's given to right. Boulder, he's also sent the letters to the Boulder police. Ah. You know, and here's proof. You know, I've I've told you about the phone calls, right. now here's the written proof. Right. But they just they don't, don't do anything. Here. They want no. him to charge him with murder. But he says, you know, he wants to know even if there was like another person, like Right. Tell me, like, give me whatever you right, have, right. you know? So the Daily Mail, because, you know, they're so, honestly, it's kind of like the National Enquirer. Right. They're just so yeah. reliable and trustworthy. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so according to the Daily Mail, in a recent letter to Vale, Oliver wrote, I pleaded guilty to the murder of John Bonet, as well as countless charges of assaults and sexual abuse mm. against many children. Mm. There were various agreements made by me and the court, which I signed many pages. Wow. However, nobody can find anything about that at all. There's no such plea okay. on the record. Okay. The arrest affidavit, so I have some parts of the arrest affidavit. It's redacted, but I'm pretty sure you can figure out who it's talking yeah. about. Yeah. So, according to the affidavit, when Oliva was arrested, right. the police found... All kinds of stuff on his phone. Mm-hmm. There was approximately 335 photos that had something to do what? with redacted. Okay. Okay. Good job. So, right. And then it says some were regular photographs of her, likely found online. Of those photographs, 19 were images from redacted autopsy. Which are also online. Right. Easy to find. Likely from the photographs that have been leaked to the press in yep. years past. Yep. There were also many photographs of what appeared to be shrines to Redacted. It is unknown where these shrines are located or if they were created by Oliver or not. They also observed in the contacts section of his phone that there were many references to this redacted person. In the video section of the phone, they found several videos that were tributes to that person as well. So 
because the Daily Mail is basically blowing them up. Right. The Boulder Police Department issued a statement and what they, you know, people assume is response to their the story. The Daily Mail story, right. So they, the Boulder Police Department says, quote, the Boulder Police Department is aware of Gary Oliva and has investigated his potential involvement in this case, including several previous confessions. The department routinely receives information on this investigation. Information provided to the police department is reviewed along with the many tips and theories we receive. There are no new updates in this investigation, and the department will not comment further. That's it. Done deal? Yeah. All done. Yeah. No so, more Gary Oliva. It's crazy. Crazy. Maybe he might get out of jail next year. And even really, if he's not her killer, clearly he's a nasty creep who obviously does not need to be on the streets. Right. So now we're going to move on to the next suspect. And I found all kinds of stuff about him. I kind of like... This is the other... Is this Helgoth? Yes. Yeah, this is the other one I kind of think. Yes. Uh And I kind of... So when I was going through the stuff, there was some stuff that was just kind of all over the place. Yeah. I just kind of mixed it all together. Yeah. So, a 68-year-old woman named Bernice Johnson is in prison at the Denver Women's Correctional Facility. Okay. She believes that her former partner and baby daddy... Ooh, that baby daddy. (laughs) Todd Buss was involved in the crime. She wrote several letters to a documentary producer named David Tomasini of her opinion, and that the murder of John Bonet was actually a hired kidnapping that had gone horribly wrong. Which is a common theory. I think right. most people don't think that someone broke into a killer. I do right. think people think it was a kidnapping gone wrong. So then they had to stage it. Right. That's a common. That's common. Yeah. So she claims that there's no way that baby daddy had acted alone and that he had help from a man named Michael Helgoth or Helgoth or however you say his name, yeah. who worked at the junkyard. He is referred to as a hellraiser by many people. Okay. So hellraiser Helgoth. Yeah. Okay. For many years... He was part of a theory which stated that there were two intruders. And even before Johnson had come out with the theory, Michael Helgoth was on the radar with the police. And I think the two intruder theory is common. That it would have taken two people to do all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So, according to Ms. Johnson, Baby Daddy would take her to the same junkyard where Helgoth worked and that he was very chummy the baby daddy in chummy, right. was very chummy with the folks who worked there. Okay. She said that at the time, she and Bus had gone to the junkyard to look for parts of her MG. I don't know really why that matters, but well. <laughs> um, she shared that Bus seemed to know that the Helgoth junkyard had the same car parts which she needed. A man who used to work with Helgoth, John Kennedy, I believe that's how you say it, it's K-E-N-A-D-Y, okay. Um, believes that Helgoth was most certainly involved in the murder of John Bonet. According to Kennedy, Helgoth had wanted to know, quote, what it would be like to crack a human skull. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Maybe with a flashlight, perhaps. Yes. After his bizarre statement, Helgoth's most prized possession, which was his flashlight. Stop it. Turned up missing. Stop it. On the scene of the crime, the Ramseys claimed that they found an unidentified flashlight on the kitchen counter. Yep. So that could be where the flashlight came from. There was a flashlight found there. There was. The one that they had the random nine-year-old smash the dummy over the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when asked if Helgoth was showing any strange or suspicious behavior around the time of the murder, Kennedy recalled how in late November, Helgoth had said, me and a partner are going to make fifty to $60,000 each. He called this a, quote, killer deal, and that 
overall amount matched the same as what was on the ransom note found at the Ramsey home. Okay, so yeah. it was for 118. So yeah, half of 118. Yeah. 58. Mm -hmm. There you go. Mm -hmm. So, okay. After that Christmas, when Kennedy asked Helgoff about the deal, he said it went by the wayside, mm. but he decided to change his appearance. Oh. He got a buzz cut. Sneaky. Which was very different from his long, long hair. Scott he Peterson. Mm -hmm. Remember when he dyed his hair? Yeah. Scott Peterson. And then Kennedy also recognized a picture of Todd Buss and said that he could have come into the yard. Okay. Which I guess if he worked there when they came. Sure. You know. He could have. So, there is a lot of evidence, other than what we just talked about. Right. Regardless of whether or not he did it with an accomplice, Helga had a motive, which was reported to be a property dispute with the Ramseys. Okay. I found that in several articles, so I'm not really sure what that has to do with it. doesn't elaborate. Okay. And he had the means. Maybe some, maybe some bad blood there between right. Helga and the Ramseys. Right. Okay. And he had the means. He owned a sundown and high-tech boot, which... Mm, the high-tech boots were yes. found. It was an imprint of the high-tech boots found in yes. the... I think in the room where they found her, in uh -huh. the wine cellar, or in the... The basement, basement down there. By, yeah. the, by the window. Yeah. And none of the Ramseys owned high-tech boots. Right. And they couldn't figure out if the Ramseys were the killers, yeah. where the high-tech boots came from. Yeah. So that gave him, you know, all the opportunity to kill her. Okay. So, again, he knew them from a property dispute. So, obviously, that could be motivation. Yeah. So, he just wanted money. He probably just wanted money. He wasn't in it probably the killer. Right. He just wanted money. He was right. like a kidnapper, hold her for ransom. Right. Make some money off the deal. However, I think that I read somewhere, and it may be in my notes, if not... I read it somewhere that he, I think, has a history of maybe a little bit of sexual abuse. I oh. don't know if it's with children or okay. if it's with adults, but... Okay. So, here's a good one for you. Holgeth committed suicide just one day after Alex Hunter, the DA at the time, announced in a press conference that... Oh, I'll just give a direct quote. Okay. Quote, I want to say something to the person or persons who took this baby from us. The list of suspects narrows... Soon there will be no one on the list but you. He kills himself the next day. Yeah. So That's once he caught wind, he decided, um, I'm out of here, and he committed suicide. So there's a lot of evidence. Yeah. Because of some peculiarities shown in the autopsy, some further believe that this accomplice worried that Helgeth might confess, and they killed Helgeth immediately oh. like a suicide. So that could be part of it. Well, I guess they can't test Helga's DNA either, huh? Yeah. He could be a match. Yeah. And I read somewhere, I don't think I put it in my notes, but I read somewhere that his family refuses to hand over any DNA. So oh, that's interesting. So, when he was found after committing suicide, guess what was near him? A stun gun? Yeah. And high-tech boots. That matched. Just to me, there is so much evidence against several people. I mean, Helgeth, obviously, the uh -huh. other the other guy that we just talked about. There seems to be so much more evidence against so many more suspects other than the Ramseys. Like, yes. Literally, there was no real evidence that the Ramseys did it. Yeah. There was no real concrete evidence. No. The best thing anybody could get was the handwriting, which we discussed. She was between a 4 and a 4.5, not a match. Right. So really, it's just amazing to me. All this evidence found the other people. They never found high-tech boots at the Ramsey's house. 
They never found a stun gun at their empty cells. Mm -hmm. They never found anything. All they found was a flashlight and it didn't belong. Right. Exactly. And no fingerprints were on the flashlight that matched the Ramsey. Right. Yeah. So I found that an internet poster said that his high-tech boots that they found next okay, to his yeah. body appears to be a perfect match, the same size, and even has a dent or chip in the sole at the exact same Ooh. spot the print does. You see, Helga, I think you maybe yeah. did it. I think you maybe did it. Yeah. He also owned two wolfdog puppies whose fur, according to a documentary, exactly matched the two different colors of animal hairs found on John Bonet's body. I think I remember that there was animal hair. I remember that there was hair, but I don't remember it. I remember there were fibers from Patsy's sweater, mm -hmm. but she put her to bed and yeah. carried her to bed. And like, yeah. that's not weird. But I do remember them being some fibers from her sweater. And people mm -hmm. thought that that was um, possibly, you know, a sign that some funny business went on. But I feel like since she carried her to bed wearing that sweater. Yeah. I mean, hello. Yeah, it's the mom. So, anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, that's what we have on Helgeth. Ooh, he's a good one. Yeah. And he's a he's very good. crappy guy, but he's a good suspect. So, another one is John Mark Carr. And we all remember <sighs> creepy John Mark Carr. Yes. He was creepy. Really creepy. Really creepy. And I didn't do a whole lot on him because, honestly, he's creepy. And he's nobody, creepy. Um, yeah. I mean, so, he just confesses out of the blue. Yeah. In what? 1996? Yes. Yes. He just confesses out of the blue to strangulating um, in a graphic sexual detail. So they arrest him in Thailand. Mm -hmm. He and that he had been living there because he was facing child pornography charges here in the U.S. And so, yeah, he reaches out to a University of Colorado at Boulder professor over an email in regards to a documentary that Tracy was making on the case. And these emails take this really disturbing turn I'm revealing his sexual fascination with John Bonet. So Tracy, this professor at the University of Colorado, he turns Carr into the police, um, who the police went all the way to Bangkok, arrested him in Bangkok. Which, I mean, that pretty awesome. Yeah, there had to be some serious evidence right. for the police to go find him in Bangkok. Right. Serious evidence. You know, this is like so kind of, well, not really off topic, but kind of off topic. Every time I see his name, yeah. it makes me think of Jared from Subway. Ooh, I can see it. You know, I can kind doesn't of look anything it. like him, but it was because wasn't he found it. over there mm -hmm. like, in Asia mm -hmm. somewhere? Yeah, I can totally see it. Yeah, just a weird, creepy, sexual predator. Right. I see it. Yeah. But again, you know, they say his DNA didn't match. But, it, you know, like we said, do earlier, we trust the DNA or do we not trust the we DNA? Don't. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we trust it or not. Maybe it could have been Helga. It could have been Helga yeah. and we'll never know because he's dead. I don't know. I don't know if I trust it or not. Well, and I mean, even the police admitted that the, the scene was mishandled. So. They did. And I mean, could it have been an investigator? Did they test invest? Did they test every investigator's DNA that was there I'm that sure day? They didn't. Did they test everybody at the funeral home and all of the? Well, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I trust it or not. Yeah. So Carr, he's crazy. Cray, cray. Yeah. He wrote like in the diary. He calls himself. Well, first in the in the diary, he says, "Close your pretty eyes, sweetheart." <sighs> he calls himself Daxus. Was his like nickname? Yes. In his head to her. And he says, Daxus loves you so much. Oh, God, I love you, John Bonet. And my lover's eyes are slowly closing. That's disgusting. It is disgusting. Is he in jail now? No. Gross. 
How can people like this just be on the streets? I have no idea. Sorry. Let me get back. Yeah. Obviously, everybody all over the world heard. So he now... Yeah. <laughs> is a woman? Apparently. So John Mark Carr now lives as a woman? Yeah. In the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. He's decided he's a woman. Yeah. I wonder what his name is. Maybe it's Daxus. Daxus. <laughs> John... Some, I mean, his name was John anyway. John Bonet. Yeah. Joanne. Jeanette. I don't know. He's a woman now? Yeah. What? I had not seen that anywhere. John Carr is a woman now? Apparently. That is fascinating. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we have Linda Hoffman Pugh. Do you think it was John Mark Carr? I really don't. I don't know. I think he was just looking for attention. I did too. To me, it seems like more, yeah, one of yeah. those things, an attention grab. And that's also why I didn't just elaborate a whole lot. Like yeah. Someone was listening research. to him and he got to come up with these fabulous yeah. stories and emails. And right. yeah, I kind of don't think Yeah. So. Okay. So Linda Hoffman Pugh worked for the family as the housekeeper and her husband, Mervyn. Yes. Do you remember Mervyn? I remember Mervyn. I loved Mervyn. I do. Okay, but her husband Marvin, he was their handyman. Yes, so they he was. Worked. He was in and around the home a lot right. as well. Yes. So they obviously both had a key. And I think they had just asked Mervin to come over to drag out some of the Christmas decorations. Mm-hmm. Like I think Mervin had just been in and around the home and even reported the broken window to them. I think yeah. Mervin had been like, "Hey, do you know there's a broken window down there?" Like he knew. It. Yeah. Right. They clearly knew their way in and around the. The Ramsey home and, yeah, anyway, continue, yeah. continue. So during the investigation, obviously she didn't fit the profile because right. her profile was, quote, white male, former convict, 25 to 30 years old. Hello, Oliver. Hello, Elkins. And how was that there? How could the, I, I don't buy that. They yeah. thought it was the Ramseys. Everybody knows they thought it was the Ramseys. I don't think they, I don't yeah. buy that. I don't think But they. she sure did say, hey, Patsy Ramsey is probably the one that killed her. She did. She was quick to say that she thought it was Patsy. Yeah. Which is interesting because when she worked for Patsy, she loved her some Patsy Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Like they were close. By all accounts, they were close and she kissed up to her and she was part of the family. So interesting that she turned on Patsy. Right. So quickly. So she had the motive because she had asked for a loan of several thousand dollars and Patsy died. Right before the, yeah, right before right. the killing, she asked for a loan. She had the means because obviously they both, one or both of them, had a key Absolutely. to the house. Absolutely, they knew. knew the yeah. House. yeah. They knew John Bonet. John Bonet knew them. And the opportunity because she likely knew that they were going to be going to Christmas functions right. yep. and that they were going to go to, you know, They were leaving cruise. for the vacation. Right. Yep. So, you know, that was plenty of evidence that, you know, she knew what was going on. So, the theory that people have come up with about her is she led a trusting John Bonet into the basement because obviously sure, John Bonet knew her just to trick her employers into leaving money for her ransom because ah, I bet she knew exactly how much that the bonus. bonus. Yep. And so, you know, she's familiar with everything. If she had anything to do with the pineapple, she probably knew that John Bonet left right. the pineapple. Right. Maybe she wanted her to come have a little snack. You want yeah. a little snacks, maybe? Yeah. Interesting. I never thought about that. Right. Okay. 
And then her alibi, it was not a good alibi. She said that she was asleep in bed and her husband slept on the couch because he took like a sleeping medication. Uh, so uh-huh. neither one of them really had an alibi that was for the night of. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you know, anybody can speculate that she was involved. But all of that, you know, evidence is circumstantial and she's never been formally accused. Another um, interesting piece on Linda Hoffman Pugh is that, so John and Patsy write this book called um, The Death of Innocence, you know, after the crime or whatever, and they name the Pews. They name, I believe, Creepy Santa, Bill McReynolds, mm-hmm. and Linda Hoffman Pugh are the Pews, her and her husband, as possible suspects. Mm-hmm. And um, the Pews sue the Ramseys after the book came out for just for defamation I guess or slander or whatever and uh, they lost the lawsuit Mm -hmm. yeah they there was no there was no basis that it was slander because they could prove the Ramseys can prove everything they said was true right so interesting that they lost their lawsuit they thought oh maybe we can at least sue and get some money out of the deal but they lost their lawsuit right and the other people that the Ramseys named in the book also sued and also lost Mm -hmm. because it was proved that everything they said in the book was true the right. suspicions were true so and then also according to the rolling stone the police showed up at their home the night after the murder they had her write on a piece of paper and they reportedly took her fingerprints and several strands of her hair Ooh. But that's all the information i could find there wasn't anything else okay so now we're going to go on to honestly my favorite person to talk about creepy santa Dylan McReynolds. Creepy This is a total aside. So I always think Santas are creepy. I just, for some reason, think people that play Santa are creepy. So one time at the Walmart here, I was walking out of Walmart with my twins. They were tiny babies. They were so darling. And Santa, like, had, like, smoker's breath and cough. And he was like, hey, were those, those twins conceived naturally or were they fertility twins? And I was like, did Santa just ask me how my twins were conceived? It was the creepiest thing, and I didn't answer. That's crazy. Yeah, so I always know. I always think that Santas are so creepy because they want, they asked me, like, about my bedroom habits. <sighs> they were fertility twins, by the way, but it was none of Santa's business. Right. Okay, so Bill McReynolds. Creepy Santa. Yes. He was Santa for a lot of their annual Christmas parties. Yeah. And he was named by the Ramses as one of the five people worthy yes. of further investigation. Yes. He was in their book. They some posters online said that the quote unquote Santa Bill may have been a pedophile. Oh, wasn't the first time somebody thought maybe he was a little creepy. Right. And I did find a thing. I couldn't find any other information on it, so I didn't write it in the notes. But a few years before this, there was a seven-year-old boy that he considered quote-unquote special. Ooh. So, gross. I know. I See, Santas are just gross. They just want little kids to sit on their lap and bleh. I know. I think Santas are creepy. Right. So, he, you know, obviously has been to their house several times. Yep. And he was there on December the 23rd when they had their Christmas party at the house. Okay. He had opportunity to borrow the pad used to write the ransom note. I mean, he was there. He, had, he yeah. could have grabbed he the pad. Absolutely. He could have taken the pad home with him. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that. Take it home to write the ransom note. I never thought of that either. And bring it back. Yeah. <gasps> he could have. Oh, that's a good one. Right. See, nobody thinks of this stuff. That's why we're here, y'all. For yes. you to think of these things. He also had been given a tour of the house, including the basement, by John Bonet himself. I have read that, that John Bonet gave him a tour of the whole house. I did. I have read that. Yeah. Right. 
So obviously he knows how to get around. Oh yeah. His role as Santa gave him a special relationship with both John Bonet and Burke. I mean, yep, obviously they trusted him. Yep. And you know, he always said that he had a special relationship with her. Yeah. And that. I'm so he to told her. Well, no, he told her because I think she told Patsy this, right? He told her that he was he had a special visit with her planned after Christmas. Right. I'll see you after Christmas. And I think she even told Patsy that though, because Patsy. Mm-hmm. They wrote about that in their book. Like he, John Bonet told me that she was going to see Santa after Christmas, and then I think that's whenever they sued the Ramses for whatever defamation, right. etc. But yeah, so he had told John Bonet, "I have a special visit for you after Christmas," right? And she told her mom that, right? Okay. So he was hired by Patsy, yep. and the main reason was because he put gold glitter in his natural white beard. Okay. You know the sparkle, the shine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His first party in the Ramsey home in 1995, he said he was instantly struck by John Bonet's quiet smile and her, quote, pensive, almost retiring ways. And he saw within her something he described as an angelic glow. I just don't get why all these grown men are so, like, infatuated, infatuated with John Bonet. I just think I know. it's weird. I know. She's clearly a beautiful little girl, but, like, man, I know lots of beautiful little girls, but I yeah. don't get what makes all these. There are probably just far more creepy, disgusting men in the world that I'm aware of. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. So at this same party, the first party that he was a Santa for them. Yeah. John Bonet gave him a vial of gold glitter. Okay. When he was leaving, and apparently no one had ever given him a gift when he was playing oh, the town. Santa. So that was special to him. Right. And she gave him another one this last Christmas that she was alive. So okay. you know that was something that she liked to do. Gave him glitter. Oh, for right. I guess for his beard. I guess she yeah. knew that he put glitter in his beard, so she got it. Okay. Right. Okay. So one of the things that he said was, "quote The stardust was all I took with me for good luck when I had heart surgery last summer." Gross. So he took the glitter with him to the hospital. Apparently, that was his good luck. That's so weird. So apparently, you know, he took the glitter with him to the hospital as his good luck charm. But I'm just thinking, like, what sane, normal, 60-year-old man does that? I don't know. That's so weird and gross. But he follows that up with, quote, Her murder was harder on me than my operation. She made a profound change in me. I felt very close to that little girl. I don't really have other children that I have this special relationship with. Not even my own children or my own grandchildren. When I die... I'm going to be cremated. I've asked my wife to mix the stardust, which is the gold glitter, yeah. that John Bonet gave me with all my ashes, and we're going to go up behind the cabin and blow it away in the wind. Like, that's bizarre. Like, don't even have a relationship like that with my children or grandchildren? Like, first, why? Like, what kind of gross or weird or crappy dad were you or grandfather were you that, that you weren't close with any of them like that? But, like, you just see her for 30 minutes or an hour at a Christmas party a few times and you decide you're so close to her. Like, you want to mix your ashes with her? Yeah. Creepy McCreepy-tastic. Yes. Murder or not, Bill McReynolds is a creepy dude. Yes. So, here's another thing that I thought was really odd. At John Bonet's funeral, he handed Patsy a vial, one of the vials yeah, that John Bonet gave glitter. him. Yeah. And he walked away without looking at her. But she called after him and said, Santa, will you come to the party next year? He said, that won't happen. I have retired. It would be too painful to don the Santa suit ever again. That's so weird. It's so weird. He... Is weird. What? What do they think the motive is with Creepy Santa? I don't know. What would the motive be? Is it 
monetary? Is it to like steal her and keep her and like have her as his little side thing like right. they did with like Elizabeth Smart? Was he truly a pedophile? I was mean, he just a pedophile who wanted to abuse her? Like right. I wonder what his motive would have been. Right. So, you know, we talked earlier about how he has told John Bonet that he would that she would be receiving a special gift right, for Christmas. Right. He wrote that in a card to her. So they did find oh. it in the trash. Here's some more creepy, creepy coincidence. Yeah, I didn't know about this one. A little more than two decades earlier. So it was actually 22 years earlier. Also on the exact same day that John Bonet was found dead in her basement. Okay, December 26th. Right. Yep. The day after Christmas. Yep. McReynolds' own nine year old daughter. Okay. Had evidently been abducted along with her friend and reportedly witnessed the sexual molestation of her fellow victim during the abduction. Apparently, no one was ever arrested right. in that case. Got it. Just so, like in John case. Right. And then his wife. Yeah, Janet. this is a real, this one's very interesting. Right. Yeah. She, you know, she would go to the Christmas parties and she would be Mrs. Claus. Yeah. And two decades prior to John Bonet's death. Right. So I'm assuming this is maybe two years after their daughter was abducted. Right. She wrote a play. It briefly made it to the off-Broadway stage in New York City, which is super crazy to me. Yeah, that's a big deal. And it was about a teenage girl who was molested and murdered in her own home's basement. So like the exact scenario of John Bonet. Right. Exact scenario. But what? I know they say their DNA didn't match. But again, you can't trust the DNA. Do you trust case. it or do you not trust it? They yeah. have got you make up their minds. Do we trust it? Do we not trust it? You say it's contaminated, then you clear people because it doesn't match. Which one is it? Yeah. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. And Boulder PD. Yeah. So they, you know, of course they're like, you know, we messed up the crime scene, but guess what? Their DNA doesn't match. That so. you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Doesn't work like this that. This just goes back to it's not their story, and so they're doesn't gonna... fit their narrative. So right. they did test McReynolds' DNA before he died. Uh huh. Okay, so he, he died six years after John Bonet. Okay, he had a heart attack, I believe, and he was seventy-two. So he was not a he was not a DNA match. So yes. we know that. So the only suspect that we don't know if was or was not a DNA match was Helgeth. Helgeth, who killed himself. Right. Got it. So so nobody's gonna like exhume him to do it. Oh, but they his family won't do one. Yeah, they right? refuse. Okay, because if you can do that, like mom and dad or even like sister could do one. Yeah. So, the McReynolds, they were both ruled out as suspects by the police. However, John Ramsey himself, yeah. in a taped interview, you know, he said that Bill McReynolds was a suspect in sure. his mind. Yeah. Patsy also strongly suspected him. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously they knew something, so what did they know? Yeah. So, some of the things that I heard, and I didn't put it in here because, honestly, I don't, I should, I should have put it in here. I don't believe the story, so I didn't put it in here. Right. But. I saw things where, like, the McReynolds had blackmail on the Ramses, and so, oh, the Ram you know. Just, all sorts of different. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, so, what we do know is both Bill and Janet had presumably been traumatized by the abduction of their own daughter yep. and her sexually tense traumatization more than 20 years prior. Yeah. On the same day. On the same on day. On December 26th. She was abducted, molested, and, and killed. Okay. Both he, as a retired journalism professor, and... His wife, an award-winning playwright, clearly had the creativity yep. and the literary skills yep. to make it sound as if this is a real ransom note yeah. 
And guess what? They're both smart enough to put typos in there, or not typos, but you know, sure to errors, make it look like that. Spelling absolutely, errors, you know, things like that. They thought it was written by probably a woman. Clearly, she could have done it. He had the ability to take the notepad, which I just never thought about. But that's, I had neither. But that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh huh. So basically, what it boils down to is there's all kinds of suspects. These are just the five that I thought were the most interesting. There's more suspects out there. There are even more, but you know, nobody's even heard of most. Maybe creepy Sam. Maybe you guys have heard of Creepy Santa. The other ones, I don't think anybody has ever even heard of. Or John Mark Carr. And John Mark Carr, yes. But there is far more evidence against all of these suspects than there even ever was against John and Patsy. And you know, there was never a motive. Nobody ever could come up with a motive why John or Patsy would have killed him. I think the best they had on Burke was that he was jealous. Yeah. And I think the best they had on Patsy was that she got so mad that John Bunny went to bed. Yeah. But these are, I mean, they never had a motive. They never, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I feel like there's far more evidence in just these five people than they ever even found on the Ramseys. Yeah. And, you know, clearly, I don't think we're ever going to know who did no. it. No. I, I just don't think we are. It'll forever be an open case. Because I don't think that, I think that the police, they have their mindset on yep. the Ramseys and they yep. refuse to you know, look any further right. than anybody else, regardless of what kind of And we all know it's those first 24, 48 hours that mm-hmm. are so crucial, and those were gone before yeah. they even had a chance to collect anything from anybody else. So I definitely don't think we're going to know anything. But I think that our hope in, in this, or my hope in this, is just that I even was talking to my mom and dad about this case. And do y'all remember this case? And every, you know, the consensus is just like, oh, yeah, everybody thought the parents did it. That's the one where the parents did it, right? I think that back then in particular, we didn't have access to the Internet and we couldn't hop on and read all of about alternate suspects or evidence or whatever. And so I literally think it was just the cover of People Magazine and the National Enquirer and Entertainment Tonight and stuff. We got all our information from there. And all anybody had was... It was the mom and dad, or it looked like the mom and dad, and that's what the nation as a whole, I think, has kind of carried with them for the yeah. last 20 or, you know, 20 plus years at this point. So, I think more than anything, we just want people to, I don't know, we're just, the media. Be open-minded. Yes. The media feeds us things all the time, every day, and at least nowadays, we can take what the media feeds us and examine it a little bit and look at it from every way but back then we couldn't do that so I think more than anything to be open-minded and to really look at you know do you really think it was them and if you really still do think it was them why and tell us why because I really do when people really think John and Patsy did it I super want to know why and it's not that I think you're wrong I mean I think you're wrong (laughs) but I mean I I really am super curious I'm open-minded enough that I want to hear why other people do think that John or Patsy or Berg did it but anyway at least hopefully this has given you some things to look at to challenge maybe your long-held beliefs that the Ramses did it yeah so I think we're done I think we're done with the John Bonet case we hope you liked it and we really want to hear what you think please 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 Go to our Facebook page at it's 10-96 Crime Chicks Podcast. We also have Twitter. It's at 96Crime. Instagram, 10-96CrimeChicks. You may have to add podcasts on there. I honestly cannot remember for the life of me. Okay. Email 1096CrimeChicks at gmail.com. And y'all, we were going to read reviews on this one, but it ended up being a really long um, episode. But ratings and reviews are so big for podcasts. We love them. 
we would just absolutely love it if y'all would, you know, rate us and review us. And we promise on the next episode, which is not going to be nearly as long, we'll read all the reviews that we've gotten since yeah. the last ones. So shoot us a review. Yeah. And let us know your thoughts. We, I've I've tried to put some stuff on Facebook, and I'll try to go put some more tonight. But yeah, for sure, let us know your thoughts. So. Yeah. Are you IDI, BDI, or RDI? Well, Amy and I are clo- both clearly IDI, but yeah. But we're never going to know who the I was. No. Or the eyes. We know who we think they are. Unless, I don't they, I don't know, the DNA could still, maybe they're still a match. It's in CODIS, it's entered into CODIS, and somebody one day, you never know. Yeah. You never know. Or it could be Helgeth, and we'll never know, because he's just not happening. He's dead, and it's yeah. not happening. Although, I don't know, now he's with this 23andMe stuff. I tell you what. I know. It's kind of creepy. I know. I'm I, so I, excited I, Oh, I won't do it. Oh, I totally want to. Oh, I won't. It's too <laughs> creepy. They can find out. No, they can come find you and find your family and blah. But are you a killer? Well, no. Okay. But what if someone in my family was a long oh, yeah, time that ago? that would be kind of scary. But... And they come find me. It's too much. Yeah. I can't do it. 23 and me if you want to sponsor us. Just kidding. <laughs> then, and then we might talk. I mean, we might we might have some disgusting to do. But in the meantime, I'm not buying it. No, I'm not buying it. No. Too creepy. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Yes. And let us know also if there are cases you would like for us to do. Yes. I think that'd be fun for you guys to let us know some cases that you would like to hear about. Absolutely. We do know what our next case is going to, or two cases are going to be. The next one is going to be a short one, but then the next one is probably going to be another two or three, maybe even four-parter. It just depends. We kind of want to go, like, more famous and then, like, lesser known. And then, like, more famous and then lesser known. Because I think both are equally yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. Tune in next time. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Bye.